John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth uh, would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. Now one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is this boy here, he has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by them who had eaten. And when the people saw the signs that he had done and said, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountains by himself. And when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. All right. So the reason why I wanted to read through all of that is because this is one of my, A, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels about Jesus. This is one of my favorite. And one of the things I love about this story is that every one of the Gospels brings up different aspects about this story that I really love, and it really paints this beautiful picture of what was going on. And each of them covers and focuses on something different. But today, I would like to talk about some of these different aspects because it gives us this really, I think, just awesome picture of Jesus and his heart for people, especially people that are hurting and are, and are in need. And so it's something that we first off want to start with. In Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and 32, um, we're going to see a little bit about Jesus the man, okay? Jesus the man. And the reason why I mention that is that, I, I guess I can read it. If we have, we have a little bit of time, we can bust through some of these. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 says this. It says, then the, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And when he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place, where many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. And so, let me set the stage for you guys. So Jesus had sent his disciples out on their, kind of their first little mission trip. Sent them two by two, and they went to the, the surrounding areas, and they prepared the people in these villages for Jesus' coming. And they were preparing people, letting them know, hey, Jesus is coming. He gave them all these instructions. Well, they had just come back, okay? While they were gone, Jesus' cousin, who was John the baptizer, was murdered by Herod. And so there was this sense where Jesus had just kind of found out about his cousin dying. And so we have this aspect of sorrow that Jesus is feeling, but then also 
we have exhaustion. They were working in other part of the Gospels that says they were going and they were, they were taking care of so many people that yet they didn't have time to eat. They were exhausted. They were tired. They were, Jesus was, I'm sure, sad. There was all of these things going on and the people and the need was still great. They could not reach them all. There was, here, like I said, they were coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus says to him, let's get away, right? Let, let's go take a break. Let's get away from the hustle and bustle. Let's get away from all the needs. Let's get away from all the people. Let's go to a desolate place and rest, okay? That's the plan. That's what is going on. And we see that Jesus, as a, as a human being, was tired, and he needed a rest. His friends needed a rest. And I, I want to touch just briefly on this. For us, rest is important, okay? Rest is important, and it's biblical. That God even designed creation in such a way that, that we would intentionally have rest be a part of how we do things. We all have times we're exhausted, and we're sad, and we're, or we're excited, or we're there's much commotion. There's times we don't even have time to eat. Jesus recognized that exhaustion. And he said it is good for us to get away. Okay? So, I, I mean, the idea of a Sabbath, right? It, it wasn't this a time where you had to not do anything. I mean, he created that way for human beings because we have the tendency to do that. But this idea of resting is important. And so Jesus recognizes that. And so Jesus is, gets into the boat with his disciples and it says that, this, that the crowd saw him leaving, right? So I, whenever I teach this, I was just, the picture I get in my head is he's getting in his boat. His disciples are in their boat. There's this crowd on the shore, and they're like sick and struggling and tired and in pain, right? And like they're, they're leaving, and like they're waving, right, as they get into this boat. Well, the people knew where Jesus was going. And it says that the crowd ran around the, the lake and met him, okay, as he's getting out of the boat, okay? Imagine this. You're like, there's Bill. He's really needy right now. Like, there's all these people, right? There's, and then you're like, you, like, disciples like, man, I'm so glad. We're like, the, the, the lake ride is, it's, it can be about a half an hour, right? I, when I was on it, it was just this, it is a very peaceful, like, so they're in this boat. They're like, right, they're exhaling, like, we're gonna, what are we gonna do? Like, let's go get some food, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna rest. And as they're pulling to shore, the crowd is then, like, waving, waiting for them, right? That is what happened. That is the scene. I know it doesn't say in John, but there's, Matthew has it, and we have other parts of it. The crowd is waiting for him. And Jesus says immediately, um, what are we gonna do to feed all these people? How are we gonna care for all these people? Really what I love about this aspect of Jesus is we see him as a shepherd. It says in another one of the Gospels that he saw the people and he had compassion on them as sheep without a shepherd. And the idea of watching these very people that, that he were so busy that he couldn't even eat, he couldn't do anything, that they had to get away, and then realizing that we're going to need to care for all these people rather than frustration, rather than annoyance, Jesus had compassion on them. And he saw them as they were, as sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus the shepherd 
took the initiative of like, I am going to care for these people. It says he loves them. And I want just to even touch on this briefly. God's heart for you is the same, okay? You cannot be needy enough. You cannot, God does not look at you as you're like, I need you and go, I just was taking care of you five minutes ago, like you're back. It's not his heart. He too sees us as we are. He has compassion on us and he loves us. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to be needy. That is okay. Be needy of Jesus. Come to him for everything. You can never exhaust his love or his compassion. And as he's seeing these people as a sheep and no shepherd, it says he had compassion. And, and in Numbers in Ezekiel, it talks about the people as sheep without a shepherd. And what's interesting is that they were waiting on a new shepherd. And in Numbers chapter 27, Moses is kind of talking about this idea. And it's important because we talk about it in a little bit. Numbers chapter 27, verse 17. He's talking about what God is going to do. He says, they should go before them and come before them and talking about himself and I will, who will lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be sheep that have no shepherd. God was promising that he would be the shepherd to his people, that he would lead them into this new land. And it says in Matthew that Jesus healed their sick in this story. And in Mark, it tells him that he taught them many things. Luke tells us about this story, that he taught them many things about the kingdom of God. And in John, we see him focusing on the fact that they had a physical need, and that was food. They were hungry. So what's interesting about the Gospels, as they're focusing on different things, we have this picture of Jesus getting to work, healing their sick, wanting to feed them, teaching them. It wasn't just practical needs. It was, hey, there's a spiritual need. They need to understand, and, and they're wanting to teach about the kingdom of God, this kingdom that Jesus was instituting. Jesus was the shepherd they were waiting for, and they didn't even know it. And he met their needs, not just their practical, physical hunger needs, but as we're going to see, but he also was meeting their spiritual needs and teaching them these things. John chapter 6, verse 130, as we jump into our section, we see that John's account focuses primarily only on the practical, and that is the bread. And I think this is intentional, because for the rest of John chapter 6, we're going to see this idea of bread coming back out. So Jesus is talking about, I'm the bread of heaven. And so as John's trying to reveal something about God, we see right here that as he comes into this space, there's a couple of things that typically get overlooked in this story that I want to bring our attention to. First off, John mentions that it's the time of the Passover, the feast of the Passover. The reason why this is important is because the Jewish people would celebrate a feast every year called Passover. And this Passover was a memory, a remembrance of when God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt and he did it through Many different plagues, but the last plague was the Passover where the people would bring in a lamb into their home and they'd care for it for a week and then they would, they would, they would kill it and then they would take the blood and put it over the doorposts. And the plague was that anybody that was in their home, during, whether in Egypt, the plague of death would cross over. It didn't matter if they were good, Egyptian, Israelite, didn't matter. Bad, didn't matter. 
if they were inside the house, if there was blood on the doorpost, the angel would pass over. And so the Jewish people every year would, would remember this feast and they would, they would celebrate it. And part of that feast was this idea of eating unleavened bread and all of this stuff. And so the idea of bread was at the forefront of the reader as they're reading this text that John wrote. They're remembering about bread like, oh man, yeah, God provided bread. And then also we see that as they came out of Egypt, God provided manna for the people. And manna was a supernatural bread that came down from God that supplied the nutritional needs of the Israelites the entire 40 years they were in the wilderness. And so all of these aspects are playing a part as the readers understanding Israel's exit out of Egypt, bread is at the forefront of their mind. And so Jesus says to them, where are we going to find bread for all these people? Another thing just to touch on is that the idea of bread and manna was huge, was absolutely huge for the Jewish people. In that, one of the promises Moses made them before he died was that he said, God will raise up a prophet like myself and him you will listen to. And so naturally what the, um, what the Israel people did is they go, okay, what was Moses to us? How did Moses function? Therefore, the prophet like him, the Messiah, would actually be like him. And the biggest thing they've attributed to Moses was that Mo- they thought, they believed that it was Moses that provided the bread for them in the wilderness. Even though it was God, it was like that was Moses' that was his miracle. That was his thing. And so they're looking for a Messiah to come that would provide bread for them, like Moses did. Supernaturally. That's one of the things they were looking for in the Messiah, amongst a million other things. And so Matthew tells us, or Mark tells us, that the disciples realized that there was that these people were hungry, and he was telling Jesus, send the people away. They saw the need. They saw the need. They were thinking the same thing. They're like, I'm hungry. These people are hungry. We need to send these people away because we don't have food to care for them. We are unable to care for these people the way that they need to be cared for. Send them away. That's what Mark accounts tells us. What's interesting is they were seeing the same need that Jesus was. It's late. It's almost dark. It's dinner time. All these people need to be cared for, and we can't do it. We have, I think for us practically, we have a great need and that is there's a lot of people in our lives that need to be cared for and we have this responsibility that's great as well that we're not able to care for them. And I think that that's a very practical thing that we all need to be reminded of is that we're incapable of caring for people to the full extent that they're able to be cared for. But we have a great God and that he is able to care for people. I think Jesus' question to Philip which is interesting, Philip, this is Philip's area. It's his hometown, Bethesda. He's kind of from here. And so I think the desolate place they're going to is like, Philip's like, I know a place, right? And so asking Philip where we're going to get food was intentional because Philip, there's like a secret bread shop. Philip's going to know about it, right? It's his spot. He knows what's going on. And so Jesus' question, I think, you know, it says that he knew what he was going to do is to test them. Why? He wanted them to realize this is a gigantic need. It's huge. And like Philip being the super practical dude's like, okay, if I calculate care of the one, like we need like 200 denarii to care for all these people. And it's not going to be enough. But Jesus is wanting them to understand that we have a great need and that we are not capable of caring for these people. Even if we had all the money of a person working an entire year, we can't do it. That we are lacking. 
here's the thing. It's okay for us to understand our abilities and our lack as long as the solution is turning to Jesus. Right? There's nothing worse than going like, I can't get there, I can't do enough, I can't be enough for these people, for this person, for whatever. That is an okay space to be in as long as we realize, like, Jesus is, right? There's nothing more helpless than to be in a space of, like, helplessness. Jesus was wanting them to see their great need, understand that the solution is something that they're not capable of fixing, that they're incapable of feeding all of these people. Jesus is like, we need to feed the people. They're like, we can't. Perfect. Great place to be in. And so Jesus tells him, Philip does the calculations, 200 denarii. So denarii, it would be equivalent to one day's, one denarii is one full day's work of a laborer, okay? So I don't know what that would be in today's equivalent, but he's saying, even if we had 200 days wages, the most we'd be able to give everybody is just a little. They'd still leave hungry. Like, what's the point? Like, it really wouldn't help them that much. The task of feeding these people was impossible and the disciples didn't have the resources and Jesus knew what he was going to do. And so Jesus says to them, well, how many loaves do you have? He said this in the book of Mark. Okay, So Andrew was looking for people. So in John, it just says that Andrew came and said, hey, we have this boy, right? Jesus actually asked the question, well, what do you have? And I love that. Like, they go out and look, and they're like, there's this boy, and he has these barley loaves, and like, they're not even like good bread. It's like cheap bread, like poor bread, and these fish are shriveled. Like, this is it. This is what we got, okay? But I love Andrew's heart, because every time we read about Andrew in the Gospels, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. That's like his story, okay? Every time. He's the only time he's mentioned he's bringing people to Jesus. He brought his brother to Jesus. His name was Peter. He brought this little boy to Jesus. That often is, I think, God's question to us. Sometimes, like the disciples, we see the great need. Maybe it's a person in our life. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's the city, a burden for the city. Like, maybe whatever. You realize you can't do it. You realize you don't have enough. Okay, hopefully you've reached that point. If you believe that you can do it and you have enough, I've got bad news for you. You're going to find out some uncomfortable truth. But the question for them wasn't, well, figure it out. Jesus' question was like, well, what do you have? How many loaves do you have? What do you have? And you may be like this little boy going, this is it. Stinky fish, some stale bread, that's it. That's all I got. And that's the question, I think, for us that we always have to ask. Like, well, what do you have? What do you have? Because Jesus... And, and we're not even talking about practical, like, food. Like, what do you have? Like, maybe, like, emotionally, like, all you have is a little bit. Like, maybe, like, to care for people, all you have is a little bit. I, I'm good at listening, man. Like, I can listen really well. I remember people's names. I'm excellent. Like, what do you have? Because here's the beautiful thing about this story is what little we have in Jesus' hands does far more than we realize. And here's what I've found, especially as a pastor and in ministry and in stuff is the biggest obstacle that most people have for caring people is they don't believe they have anything to give. Well, I can't do that. I'm not a pastor. I can't do that. I don't know enough. I can't do that. I can't. It's always what I don't have, right? I can't do this because I don't know enough. I don't 
believe enough. I don't understand enough. I don't, I don't have this. I don't, it's, always, it's always focused on what they have. And I think for us, the question is, well, what do you have? What do you have? Like, I think everyone knows there's people, we're surrounded by people that are hurting and struggling and at their wit's end and all of these things. And sometimes all they need is somebody just to listen to them, just to sit with them as they cry. Obviously, these are practicals. This isn't what our story is specifically talking about, but the question we might have is, well, what do we have? And so <clears throat> Andrew brings up these shriveled fish, dried fish in this, these barley loaves, and he gives them to Jesus. And then Jesus says, well, have everybody sit in 50s, which I think is awesome because it's not like he's random, he's organized. And it also says that uh, there was much grass in this place. I don't know if you saw that, but that hit me. I was like, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He took him to a place where there would be grass. Little things, right? He took him to a place where there was much grass. Where they're sitting down, wouldn't be on rocks, because Israel's filled with rocks, guys. Lots of rocks. It's a rocky place. He found the place with all the grass, knowing what he was going to do. He is a good shepherd. And then Jesus took the bread, he looks to heaven, and he breaks these pieces, and he starts distributing them to his disciples, and then they would come and take from Jesus and give to the people. And it says that everybody ate and was satisfied, and they had so many leftovers that it filled 12 baskets. What I love about this story is that Jesus, it said Jesus feeds the 5,000, but who actually fed the 5,000? Disciples. Right? Jesus did the miracle. He provided the resources. He provided the miraculous ability to produce bread and fish to feed 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. Like, could be 10, 20,000 people. Okay? So Jesus did the miracle. Like, I'm not taking away from what Jesus did at all. But his methodology for caring for these people was to give the food to his disciples, who then would take the food to the people and then go back to Jesus and get more food and take that food to the other people. And they did that until every person was fed to the fullest. Here's the reality. Jesus still works that way today. His methodology hasn't changed. He still provides the ability. He still provides the miracle, essentially, sometimes. Sometimes he does miraculous. I'm not taking away. Like Sometimes he can like literally, boom, like uh, other other nations are blessed sometimes with crazy miracles that God's still working. But for us in the West today, most of the time, how he is providing and in, in doing miraculous things is through you and I. It's us coming and receiving from Jesus and then going and distributing that to people that we're in contact with and are in our lives. This is the way that God's always planned it. This is how his church functions today is we receive from him and then we give to others. This is why we're called the body of Christ, that Jesus literally, his body, his physical presence on the earth is done through us. I'm able to love my neighbor by being with Jesus, getting to know him, resting in Jesus' love, satisfying the longing of my soul, and from that space of fullness, I'm able to give to my neighbor, my friend, my family, whatever it else is. And I think that also, this wasn't done in one trip. 
okay? It wasn't like they went and like got everything and like, okay, I'm done. It took multiple trips. They had to keep going back to Jesus and go back. Go back to Jesus, get filled, go back. Go back to Jesus, get filled, go back. Okay? It's not a one-time boom, I'm done, right? This is a multiple, multiple, we have to keep going back to Jesus to get filled. We have to keep going back to get nourished so that we have something to give those around us, so that we have something to offer. We're most in trouble when we're functioning out of emptiness. When, and here's the thing, is that they need the same thing. We, like, everybody needs the same. We need Jesus, right? We need Jesus to like, nourish and fill our souls. And it's when we are coming and receiving his goodness and his grace, and, it, and, and it, we're in his word, like all of these things we're able then to care and nourish and be a part of that process with other people. So as we close out our section, let's look at verse 14. It's something very interesting stands out. It says, the people get filled, right? The disciples collect all the things. And the people start going, this is the prophet. Let's make him king. Okay? Now, for many of us, when we read that, we're like, what in the world is he talking about? John, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15 Moses is talking. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. It is him you shall listen to. Like I said before, they were expecting, looking for the prophet. And then this dude feeds everyone miraculously. They're like, this is the prophet. But here's the thing. They were expecting Messiah to come and conquer Rome. Their Messiah was a physical conquering warrior king that was going to come and free them from Roman oppression, reestablish the nation of Israel, sit on a physical throne, and rule for all of eternity. Like, that's what they were looking for. They were right that he's the prophet. They were wrong in how he's going to go about it. And so they're like, we got 5,000 dudes here. That's a good start to an army. Let's make him king, and let's do this. That's what was going on. And Jesus is like, whoa. (laughs) Right? And his disciples... We're getting in on this because in, uh, I want to say it was in Matthew, they're like, he, he physically sent his disciples away. He's like, go get into the boat, go to the other side, get out of here. And it says he sent the people away. Like, we're not doing this, revolution isn't happening today, okay? But that's what was going on. This is the prophet. They were right. They recognized him as the prophet. He provided manna, essentially, for them, but they didn't understand why Jesus came. And so he sends them away. And he goes up onto the mountain, and he prays. And that's how our story is going to end today. Next week, we're going to look at Jesus walking on the water and the storm. But some things I want to just draw our attention to as we, we finish out our time. How do we see Jesus? Okay, The story, I think, brings all different aspects to our minds. But one of the things I just want to touch on, a few different of these things, is Jesus is that Passover lamb. Right? Our story starts with the, drawing the reader's attention to the fact that the Passover is at hand. They're thinking about this lamb. And just as this Passover lamb came, it, it was, the Passover lamb was a taste of Jesus. It was, it was a foreshadowing of what God was going to do. And just as the blood of the lamb covered all of the doorposts so that death crossed over and that everybody was saved, regardless of their actions, so too Jesus was going to be a Passover lamb that was not just going to die for one family, but for the whole world, and that his blood being seen would cover every person 
in the family. And that regardless of what we did and where we're at, his grace, his blood would bring forgiveness that we might live. And it's open to anyone. Life wouldn't be bound up in the walls of a building, but to anyone who was brought into this family, this adopted family. But also Jesus is the bread. Shortly after this, in, a, in two weeks, we're going to look at Jesus saying, like, I am the bread. I must be eaten and nourished. Like, Jesus is the bread. Just as bread essentially is a, is a symbol of nourishment and strength and health physically, spiritually, it's the same idea. Like, Jesus is the bread from heaven that nourishes us. He satisfies our deepest hunger. But also, Jesus is the prophet. Here's something that's interesting about the word prophet, and I know in our culture it's used in a lot of different ways. The main role of a prophet was to intercede for the people. Okay? He would go and, and speak to God on behalf of the people, and he would speak to the people on behalf of God. He was an intercessor, primarily. That was the office, essentially, of the prophet. Now Moses would have to go to a tent, and in this tent... God's presence chose to dwell on earth and it was there he would have most of his interaction with God so that he would then leave the tent and go tell the people what he heard from God. And then when the people did stupid stuff, he'd go into the tent and be like, have mercy on them. He'd stand in the gap. But Jesus is a better prophet because where Moses was limited in his human, humanness and he'd sometimes misrepresent God and he'd beat the rock when he was supposed to talk to the rock and he would get frustrated and all these other things, Jesus intercedes on our behalf in a better way. One of the things I love, it says the Bible says that Jesus lives to make intercession for us, that he still is making intercession for us to this day. And here's the beautiful part. Where an intercessor would go and say, don't consider their works. Like, I know they screwed up, but like, have mercy. Like, the intercessor was interceding on the behalf of the person that was messing up. Jesus intercedes for us by his own works, right? Rather than saying, don't consider what they did, like, have mercy, he's saying, look at my holiness. They're holy because I'm holy. His works cover us. Jesus did everything necessary for us to be acceptable to the Father. God laid out the law and said, this needs to be done for you to have a relationship with me. And any of us that have tried know we've failed. And God came, and Jesus came into humanity, and he lived that law perfectly. He lived it perfectly. So when he comes, he says, my righteousness covers them. When we trust Jesus, we get credit for Jesus' perfection, his righteousness. And yes, we still struggle, but when God looks at us, he sees his son's right living covering us, and that is what makes us acceptable. His intercession for us is his own life. And his death and resurrection gave us forgiveness for all of the things that we screwed up on, right? So we're forgiven because Jesus died and took our place, but we're made righteous because of his righteousness imputed to us, all by faith. His blood is over the doorpost. His bread nourishes us. He intercedes for us. And lastly, he's the good shepherd. He said he saw these people like sheep without a shepherd. 
he had compassion on them. He cared for them. He healed them. He didn't see them as a nuisance or an inconvenience. Funny thing with sheep is they're real stupid. They get themselves into trouble all the time. It is funny that God calls us sheep. They need a shepherd. They will kill themselves if they don't have one. Like it, they just run and hurt themselves. And they're never a nuisance. The shepherd loves the sheep. It says he, he knows them by name. He calls them by name. And this passage, I think, screams with Jesus, the good shepherd, as, as I just will close with Psalm 23, because I just think about these, the much grass there, the, the area where it's best to feed the sheep, where the sheep can feel safe and have pasture and lie down. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. My, your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is a good shepherd. With that, let's close and we will worship and respond to that.